This morning, we're continuing our month-long celebration of Advent that we've titled Good News of Great Joy. Advent simply means coming or arrival. And in the church, it speaks specifically of the four weeks prior to Christmas, during which time the church celebrates the true meaning of the holiday, the coming or the arrival of God's Son, the Savior. Um, The title of our series, Good News of Great Joy, actually comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, where there the Holy Spirit inspired account is rather simple and unadorned. It's not window dressed in any way. Uh, Luke says that the angel of the Lord surprised some unsuspecting shepherds uh, one night with an angelic birth announcement. And he records in the second chapter these words that the angel of the Lord said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, uh, as I mentioned last week, was our, our inaugural celebration in Advent of our one-year anniversary. By the way, for those of you who don't know, you can listen to our messages online. On a, There's a podcast available on the website. And if you weren't here last week, you'll you'll want to listen because of the uh, 20 or so stories of people in our church family that, that shared their experiences in God in the last year. Very, very encouraging. So you might want to check that out online. Next week, our kids are, are going to be a vital part of our service as we uh, share Kids Delightfully Pave the Way. And then the 23rd, we'll look at uh, how Jesus changes everything. And then as Steve uh, informed you earlier, on the 24th Christmas Eve, we'll celebrate at 4 o'clock together with a one-hour candlelight service. This morning, we're going to discover that God's kingdom actually arrived in Jesus' first coming and that every Christmas celebration since is an opportunity to experience joy. So let's uh, pray together. Lord, it is with great thankfulness this morning uh, that you uh, we, we, we give you thanks for what you've done, who you are, and all that you've done. We Pray the prayer you taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. We bless your name for the salvation that comes through the Savior. We bless your name for the fullness of the Spirit. We bless your name for security and soundness and success in Jesus. And we pray that these blessings of your um, of your name, as it's revealed in, in, in the Scripture, would fill up our lives. That, that the fullness of who you reveal yourself to be in your names would would enlarge, especially in this Advent season. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives, in our families, in our church family, in our communities, where we work and where we live, Lord, the people in whose lives you've placed us. We pray for your kingdom to come right here in this room today and right next door as as our kids are celebrating life in Jesus as well. Put power on your word to our life in your name. Amen. Well, from the time that we were first taught how to read by our teachers and parents, we understood that stories progressed from the beginning to the end, right? Uh, books unfold in chapters uh, with page numbers that increase sequentially from uh the first to the last, as the storyline progresses towards its conclusion. Uh, in similar manner, comic strips move from the 
beginning and opening frame on the left all the way to its concluding frame on the right. A one-hour television show plods forward in four 12-minute intervals uh, to the epilogue that when everything's summed up at the end. In any of these, a book, a comic strip, uh, a television show or movie for that matter, would make little sense if we started in the middle. And yet, uh, you know, we, we occasionally do that, but when we do, we miss, don't we, the significant elements of the plot or the theme or the characters and the setting. We miss it. And yet every year at this time of year in, in, in Advent celebrations, millions of people do the very same thing. We, we enter Christmas halfway through the story. We miss the larger drama. And so today I'd like to take uh, advantage of this opportunity to provide some context for better understanding about that angelic announcement to the shepherds, about the, the baby Jesus in the manger, and about the, what the world was waiting for when he finally arrived. This narrative, the grander narrative, goes far beyond the nativity sets that might be sitting on your mantle, uh, displayed in your living room somewhere, or the, the scenes that are uh, pictured on your nearly perfect Christmas cards. Uh, the story is much larger than that. It actually begins in the ageless past and doesn't conclude until the ageless future. And every chapter of the story in between is compelling. And it's compelling because it's about God stepping into a broken and messed up and complicated world in an offbeat and an unexpected manner to bring hope and help to people desperately in need to bring the good news of great joy. In the very beginning, God created everything beautiful and picture perfect, the plants and birds and rocks and things. Then he crafted Adam, the original man, and his wife Eve with his very own hands, breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and then gave them the responsibility uh, for caring uh, for that first garden, Eden, uh, in which he had placed them. If you think about it, God was the source of everything they could possibly need or imagine. Everything they needed to thrive was found in God. But Satan tempted them to live life on their own terms, thinking they knew better for themselves and God did uh, what what should be happening. And so then they collapsed in that deliberate disobedience to temptation when they ate the forbidden fruit. At that moment, they lost their innocence. They uh, lost the intimacy and right standing they had with God in the garden. And they came under his judgment as they were then separated from God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament spins the story this way in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So the kingdom of sin and evil broke into the world. It was accompanied with every form of bondage and guilt and rebellion and shame and sickness and disease and oppression and lack and hatred, and murder, and greed, and covetousness, and every other kind of evil broke into the world. 
We don't understand in God's sovereignty how and why, but it did. And then God banished Adam and Eve from his personal and powerful presence there in Eden. Uh, But ever merciful and forgiving, he stepped in and promised that he would restore this brokenness one day. We read that early promise in the book of Genesis, the third chapter, where uh, God said, And I, God, will cause hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Speaking to the very real and very personal devil, God pronounced this future judgment. And it's only with the hindsight of the New Testament that we can look back now in that pronouncement in Genesis and and understand that God was foretelling the arrival of a Savior or a Redeemer, the actual offspring of a godly woman who, in his death, the striking of the heel, would defeat the devil, the bruising or crushing of his head. Well, centuries progressed. And while God's promise of restoration was very present, it was dim, buried beneath generations of people who were living in willful sin and rebellion and idolatry. About uh, 2,000 years went by. That's a long time. And then God chose one man out of the face of the earth, a man named Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, through whom, uh, through his lineage, this Redeemer would come. God promised it this way in Genesis, the 12th chapter, speaking to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. But then still more time passed. And even though God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt in the Exodus event, they still continued to disobey. The book of Judges paints the picture of God's people this way. When we read, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And then still yet another thousand years goes by before the, before the birth of Jesus ever is, is thought of in God's people's minds. And God raised up two kings, Kings David and, and Solomon, his son. And this time would have been considered the golden age of Israel. Uh, it was during this time that God's people caught a glimpse, as it were, of what life would be like when the Lord Yahweh is king. Spurred by uh, incredible military victory, the Hebrew nation at that time enjoyed peace and prosperity and God's blessing on their families, their flocks, their herds, their uh, orchards, their their crops, their livestock. Well-being in every aspect of life is not only what they experienced, but what God foreshadowed life could be like in his kingdom. It would have been great to have lived so large in the time of the reigns of King David and Solomon. Sadly, after the death of of David's son, King Solomon, the nation of Israel was ravaged by civil war. 
and it became a divided kingdom, a northern and southern kingdoms. And eventually, they suffered invasion and defeat at the hands of the Babylonians who destroyed, completely destroyed, the beautiful city of Jerusalem and then carried away the Judeans into exile in the year 597 B.C. It was in these very dark and despairing days that God would occasionally send a prophet. Their writings are in what you would call the clean section of your Bible because we don't read them very often. But God would send a prophet, and and his point there was to stir hope that things weren't going to stay this way. And so the prophets, in particular Isaiah and Daniel, pointed to a new day. It was called alternately the day of the Lord, or that day, or the day. When God the King would personally intervene in the history uh, of the world, the Messiah, on other occasions called the Son of Man, would bring salvation and forgiveness and healing and restoration for all people. As God poured forth His Spirit on all flesh, all people, uh, there would be great joy and great peace. These were the prophetic pictures that you can read yet today in, in the prophets. And they even pointed to the day uh, of the end of the death, uh, of the curse of death, where in the resurrection, death itself would be reversed. For example, we can read, and I'll I'll, I'll read to you here, a, a, a prophecy from Isaiah in the 40th chapter. Isaiah said this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed for all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Tell the towns of Judah... Your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He'll rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. Over and over in texts just like the one we read in Isaiah 40, the prophets were foretelling of a day when Israel's exile would be over. The Lord himself would return to the the city of David, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and God would come to personally help his people. And in the wider sense, these prophecies indicated, uh, people understood them to mean that God would judge the whole world as king. He's the king of the world. And he would bring an end to evil and injustice and lawlessness and pain and suffering and even death itself as this new age of universal peace and prosperity would break in on the earth. And so there was this great expectation and hope mixed in with God's people. Classic, isn't it? It was it was a, a, a time of, of great despair, living in exile, under persecution, and yet 
hearts being stirred by the word of the Lord delivered by the prophets. Great expectation and hope among God's people. And yet, as the Old Testament closed, God's voice went silent. Nothing happened for another 400 years. Like a child anticipating a Christmas morning that never arrived, God's people were disillusioned. Well, as the New Testament opens, God's people are still oppressed. They're living under the pagan, uh, the rule of the pagan Roman Empire. Uh, they're, uh, they have heavily compromised local politicians who uh, are, are really serving the Roman government. They're sliding deeper and deeper into debt through taxation. Things are not looking good. There are, however, a few faithful uh, remnants of people who are holding unswervingly to uh, God's covenant with Abraham uh, and the promise of a, of a Davidic line to David and Solomon, and thirdly, the promises of the prophets. So they're, they're holding on to these glimpses of the promise of a Redeemer that we've seen, that, that earmarked the, the Old Testament. They were yearning, but not for a white Christmas or Santa Claus, not, not for a gift-laden tree with lights, not for you know, a, a present-filled stocking, not even just for a sip of eggnog under the mistletoe. They were yearning for the coming of the Messiah, a Redeemer who would, who would break into this world oppressed by sin and lawlessness and greed and corruption of every kind and bring the new kingdom age that the prophets had been talking about that would bring in the day of the Lord. So there was this faithful remnant. There was Mary, for instance. Mary... Uh, the mother of Jesus, she was a, a faithful um, Israelite, heart turned towards God. The angel Gabriel had had surprised her with this new information that she was going to supernaturally conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, and this child would be the Son of God who would rule Israel forever and whose kingdom would never end. And then when Mary visited her, Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth, who had also conceived supernaturally in her old age, Mary burst out with a spirit-inspired song, and we read about it in Luke's Gospel, the first chapter. She said, God has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So she was tapping in to a promise that had been made 4,000 years ago to Abraham, Genesis Genesis 12. Uh, This remnant included Zechariah. Zechariah was the the father of John the Baptist, who was considered the forerunner of the Messiah, one who paved the way. And at John's birth, Zechariah spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and said this in Luke 1. I'll just read it. Uh, the text in, in Luke's gospel is, is so powerful. Now, Zechariah hadn't been able to speak since God promised the supernatural conception and birth of his, of his son, John. And after nine months of, of being mute, these are the first words that, that explode out of his, out of his heart. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. 
Now we'll be saved from our enemies. He's been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies, and so we can now serve God without fear. You see the thread there again, the promise to the covenant to Abraham, the, the, the Davidic line, the kingdom as experienced in David and Solomon, and then, and then the promises and prophecies of the prophets. Now, I'm belaboring the point this morning and taking the time to read these uh, various scriptures because I think it's important for us to understand right here in the middle of the story, the larger context, what it was that the people were actually waiting for. And then, and that for hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, there was a remnant of God's people who were clinging to the promises that God himself would someday come and intervene and change things. He would set things to right. Then on that first Christmas Eve, the angel of the Lord announced to the blue-collar shepherds who happened to be working the third shift that night that the time was actually fulfilled. This was it. In Luke's gospel, we read the story, chapter 2. That night, there were some shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. I guess so. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So the good news of great joy was that the Savior had been born. Jesus, the name Jesus means the Lord saved. And so the good news of great joy was that God himself had come to live among his people in the Savior, in fulfillment of the promise of Isaiah the prophet that Jesus would be Emmanuel, God with us. This was now happening. As a vulnerable, fragile, little baby boy born in a hillside animal shelter, to an unwed Jewish teenage mother in the most vulnerable of circumstances, Jesus, the God baby, fully man, fully God, was the embodiment of the good news, the hope of the ages. Now, it was totally unexpected. Didn't look anything like what they imagined. I mean, for centuries they'd been expecting the arrival of the king. This didn't look like their expectation. It was nothing like what they had imagined. But Jesus, the the God baby, grew up. There's a curtain of silence over most of those 30 years, but then at about age 30, he launched his itinerant ministry with a rather startling announcement. It's recorded for several places in the New Testament. Uh, Mark's gospel records it this way. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The word good news is otherwise translated as gospel. The good news. The time promised by God 
has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near or at hand. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue at Galilee, and Luke records how the Lord uh, announced his ministry in another context right around the same time, Luke 4.18. Jesus announces that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, Jesus had carefully selected from the prophet Isaiah a, a, a text that deliberately explained the best that possibly be could, uh, uh, his understanding of what his ministry was, the announcement of the good news, kingdom of God coming. He said that he was anointed, it's, a, it's an old word that simply means enabled or empowered. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring the good news of the arrival of God's kingdom. That was the original gospel, that the kingdom had arrived that all people would receive the help that they so desperately needed. The oppressed would be set free, the blind would see, the deaf would hear. Um, and then he concludes uh, his, his quote from the book of Isaiah with reference to the time of the Lord's favor. More literally, that, that portion of the scripture would read, the acceptable year of the Lord, or the favorable year of the Lord, in quoting Isaiah the prophet. And in Isaiah's context, he was referring with that language to the year of the Lord. It was the year of Jubilee in the law of Moses. And it referred to a special time of universal liberation. Every 50 years, they celebrated complete and total freedom for everybody. And, and Jesus was saying, by implication, I have come to set everyone free from every kind of bondage you can imagine. The future age, as envisioned by the prophets, when everything gets set to right, is actually now happening. I've come to bring this period of time that's universally going to liberate everyone, because God's kingdom is here. The blessings of the future age that you've imagined when everything's going to be set to right for eternity actually has broken in now in my arrival. That's the good news that the kingdom has come. That's the good news that brings great joy. The blessings and hopes and dreams of God's future reign when everything that's broken gets put to right. Jesus is saying that's happened. It happened in my coming. And that is good news that brings great joy. That's why the angel could proclaim for all eternity, the Savior, the Redeemer, has been born tonight. And that is good news. Now, if you look closely at Jesus' ministry over the next three years, what did he do? Well, 
He extended forgiveness and reconciliation to people who were estranged from God, who felt like their sins were keeping them from God's kingdom and presence. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He met needs, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. He cast uh, out the devils that they had. Uh, He taught people how to live under the rule uh, of, of God's kingdom, what what life should be like when you're living under the rule of a king. He encouraged people. He helped people. Everywhere he went, his ministry was the ministry of the kingdom, right? Jesus taught about the kingdom. His parables instructed the mysteries of the kingdom. He His prayers encouraged his disciples to yearn for its full manifestation. Pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done. He restored people to the wholeness or the shalom of God's original intention in creation. What was modeled in the days of King David and Solomon. Now, Shalom is a, it's not the, it's not the, the, the girl among us whose name is Shalom. Uh, that's where that name comes from, actually. The Hebrew rich Old Testament word that means peace and completeness and well-being and wholeness in every aspect of life. To live free and unfettered from the effect of the enemy, to live out from underneath the devil's kingdom, to live in the wholeness of God's order. That's that's what the word picture in, in, in in the context of the Bible means. And Jesus is bringing the shalom of God's kingdom to the earth. And he announced and then demonstrated that God's kingdom had come. The shalom of God's rule was here. It's already here. And then he went about doing the, the deeds to prove that it, that it, that it was uh, actually true. And he said, it, it, it's here and we're, we're engaged in a battle to reclaim territory from the enemy and bring it under God's rule. And this is going to persist until the time when I come back again and I'm going to bring my full, uh, my, my kingdom in its fullness in a way that it can exist now because there's still the presence of an ulterior competing kingdom. This is the good news that caused people to rejoice then and through the centuries ever since, 2,000 years now later, still causes people to rejoice. You see, Jesus is good news of great joy. Jesus is always good news of great joy. And friends, if you've received Jesus as anything other than good news, then you've not received the biblical Jesus. Because Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is always good news of great joy. The joy of God's kingdom is certainly different than other earthly happiness. It's the joy that we're going to receive in full at the end of the age when we live in a resurrected and perfected and changed body in the very presence of God himself on a newly renewed earth the way God had intended for it all along when he started back there in the garden. That's the fullness of joy that he wants for us to have. The Apostle Peter described it this way in 1 Peter 1.8. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the other New Testament authors found 
of this element of joy from the very beginning of the breakthrough of God's kingdom. For instance, John the Baptist, while he was yet a baby in his mother Elizabeth's womb, when he heard the words of Mary, his aunt, uh, uh, his mother's cousin, the Bible says that he leapt with joy in her womb. Those of you who have carried a child know exactly uh, this phenomena. And those mystified husbands who place their hands on the on the stomach can like vicariously experience it as well. Zacchaeus, he was a corrupt, carnal, godless uh, chief of sinners, tax collector. And in Luke 19 says that when he met Jesus, he was filled with joy. Jesus promised his followers a special joy that would be complete. John 16, Jesus said, you... Uh, you, you will have abundant joy. John seventeen thirteen. Jesus promised in his prayer to the Father at the close of his life that we would be filled with his joy. When Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to the apostles and then a, a group of 500, uh, those who met him, said, the Bible declares that they were filled with joy. The apostle Paul describes life in God's kingdom as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. So let me conclude by asking you a question this morning. What chapter is your life story in right now? And in that chapter, what is it that you are yearning for? You know, not just a superficial, like, well, if I had this or that, I'd really be happy kind of joy kind of yearning, but, but, but the deep longing. You know, when the lights are down and the curtains are closed and the shades are, 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 are pulled and you're totally sincere, honest, and earnest, that kind of yearning. What is it that, that you're yearning for? The way we've seen the remnant were yearning prior to Christ's arrival. Is it forgiveness of sin? Is it reconciliation with your Creator? some other physical or emotional healing, maybe the restoration of a broken or fractured relationship, freedom from some form of oppression or bondage or habit of some kind. Maybe for you it's just the yearning for the ability to hear from God or see a particular prayer answered uh, or grace to... Trust Him and believe that God is good again. Maybe for you it's like, I just wish I could start over. What, what is it that your heart is yearning for at this chapter of your life story? As it's, as it's moving from its start to now the middle to, to its conclusion, what, what is it that you're yearning for? Well, in that original Christmas story, we, we now understand that God was answering the yearnings of the cry of his people by stepping into that broken, messed up world to bring his kingdom, the thing that they were really yearning for. And I, I think that in, in every advent, as we revisit the story, God is now inviting us again into the story. He's inviting all of us into the into the Advent story, the larger story, the story that's about a king and his kingdom, a story that began in eternity past in the heart of a heavenly father with love for his his creation and then started in a beautiful and powerful way right there in the garden and then went awry, got broken, and then came, then God uh, 
came rescuing us in the coming of his son in that first advent and continues yet today, year after year after year, when we respond to his invitation. Every year when we visit the Advent story, it's like Christ invites us into the story, the story of his coming, the king and his kingdom. And he's inviting us in to celebrate the good news of great joy as he satisfies the yearnings, the deep yearnings of our heart. As he brings the shalom of his kingdom into the area of your life where you are yearning for God's presence and power, his love and his mercy, his truth to break in. That's what he came to do. That's why it's good news of great joy. And we often think that God's timing is just a little late, don't we? But Jesus, the Savior, finally arrived at just the right time in God's timetable. It was just the right time. He showed up at just the right chapter of the grander narrative. And so Jesus wants to bring the shalom, the joy and the peace and the, and the goodness and power of his kingdom to you at just the right time. Maybe right now in this Advent season, whatever chapter your life story is in. And every Advent celebration since the first, the first one celebrated 2,000 years ago, can really now be an occasion of joy as we welcome his kingdom into our life. You know, well beyond the traditions and the family gatherings and the loving exchanges of gifts, all of which are great. God has no problem with any of that. In fact, he's in a lot of it. Uh, But beyond that, uh, wherever you're at, whatever chapter of your life story, he wants to bring the joy of his kingdom into your life. Christmas is Christ. Christianity is Christ, that he finally arrived, that the Savior came, that he brought the good news of great joy, that God's kingdom is actually now here. And the deep yearnings of your life can be satisfied in Jesus. You were created and fashioned by God's very hand. You are loved by God the Father And he now welcomes you through the words of the Apostle Paul to come back to God. Your sins are not keeping you from God. He longs to forgive and restore and heal and bless you in every way as the rich and abundant life that he provided for in his kingdom becomes yours. Lord, we just thank you for the invitation every year in the Advent season, and again now today, that, that you long to, to, for us to come back to you, you to whom we belong because you made us in the first place. And Lord, I pray that today that, that you would answer the yearnings of your people to forgive and to restore and to be healed and, and to experience the hope and, and ability to hear from you and trust you and believe in you all over again. Jesus, you said that you wanted us to have a full and abundant life, the life that is real life. And so we pray that that life of your kingdom would come today like you promised it would. And Lord, as we offer you what we have, small as it might be, our hearts and our hands 
and even our pocketbooks in the offering. We pray that you'd receive these for what they are, tokens that we want our life to count fully for you, to whom we belong, in your name. Amen.